The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. crimes that change them forever. This is our 19th episode of season two. Can you believe that? No, I can't believe we've been doing this for like almost a year now. It is insane. So next week, Wednesday, will be our season two finale, if you can believe that. Um, And we will take a brief hiatus, but we will be back December the 1st with season three. Yeah, believe me, I tried to make this hiatus a lot long, like as long as our last one was, but Gina's not having it. No, 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 no. Can't keep me away from my, from my listeners that long. (laughs) (laughs) So the case that we have for you guys this week is one that kind of shot to the top of the list because it piqued my interest. Yeah, and Gina, whenever she gets a hair in her butt, she tries to... Get the, the, the stories out as quick as she possibly can. So, Chris, did you ever watch the show Wife Swap? I didn't. It always seemed forced. Like, it, it was just weird. It was always weird people, you know? So, I love this show. I loved it. I think it's funny. I think it's probably not scripted, but, I mean, they definitely look for the extremes, right? Right. So, they look for two families that... Um, and I always hated the name Wife Swap, though. It should be called Mom Swap, because Wife Swap makes me think they're swingers. I'm just right. saying. But anyway, so they look for two families that are, like, very much the opposite. Like, they'll take one that, you know, spends money real freely and one that, like, cheapskates everything. And they'll have the wives or the moms of the family switch for two weeks. So the first week... The moms will live by the family's rules that are already, like, how they live normally. like the house rules. Yeah. And then the second week, they'll change it up a little bit. So, basically, two families get to see, like, a different way of living. Right. Which, in theory, it's kind of cool. You know, like, I think everybody could... I I think everybody would do better if they could live the day of another person, you know? Yeah. But the way they did it was just, like, like... was so forced and like scripted and just crazy i loved it i'm just saying i loved that show and in 2008 two families appeared on the show and as per typical wife swap these families could not have been more different they had the stockdale family that lived on a farm in rural ohio and the Tonkovic family who lived in um, like a suburb up by Chicago. So Kathy and Tim Stockdale of Ohio, they had four sons and they were raising their boys on a rural farm in Ohio. So when I say they have four sons, so the oldest was like 19 and then they were like 16, maybe 14, 15 and 11, I think. You got to kind of keep that in mind when I'm talking about their their kids. One of them's technically an adult. Right. Um, They homeschooled the boys in their very conservative family. On the other hand, Lori and John Tonkovic were raising their children with a lot less structure and a lot less rules. In fact, when they went to the Tonkovic house, their son, who is also an adult, I think, I don't know exactly how old he was. He was like 19, maybe 20. 
um, was living there with his girlfriend and their daughter, who I believe was 17, uh, her boyfriend lived with the family as well. Right, and like her son that didn't work, the boyfriend didn't work. and No, the son's aspirations were to be a rapper. Right. Um, so, I mean, just very opposite ends of the spectrum. Most of us fall somewhere in between. Like, we're not going to let our teenager's boyfriend move in, but we're also going to let them have a boyfriend. Right. You know, that that's where most people fall. But the Tonkovics and the Stockdales were very much opposites. So, each of the moms has to leave a manual um, that talks about how their house runs. So, when Lori sits down to read the Stockdale manual... She's shocked at some of these rules. For example, the boys who were aged 11 through 19 were not allowed to date at all. I mean, I get the 11-year-old, but the 19-year-old, who was technically an adult, was not permitted to date, and he had never been romantically involved with anyone. Never even been on a date. Yeah. All four boys were part of the Stockdale Family Band, which was a bluegrass band, which it's very interesting because when I started looking more into this, like, they were kind of a legit thing for a long time. Like, really? they were very successful bluegrass band. It wasn't just like, you know, a bunch of hillbillies sitting around Plucking, with a fiddle. Right. You know, like, they were a very successful family band. Uh, Kathy prided herself in raising her children with moral values and really conservative values. And it's funny because in, in the episode, at some point, the father, Tim, talks about how they moved out of the city because there were too much like violence and gun violence. And he wanted to get his family away from Which all of it, that. I mean, in hindsight, it's kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and, you know, the boys weren't even really allowed to watch television, and they were not allowed to play any video games at all. They had to do chores to earn tokens, and if they got so many tokens, they could listen to a radio show. Like, and how much of that would be is set up, you know? Like, I want to know if this was really the way they lived, or if it was... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I tend to think a lot of this is real. I mean, obviously, they look for the extreme ends of the spectrum. Right. But I don't think it's a scripted show. But it's definitely, they look for the extremes. So, on the other end, you've got the Tonkovic family. And, you know, like you said, the son and the daughter's boyfriend, as well as the son's girlfriend and the daughter, they didn't work. Um, You know, they were, they showed, like, Lori giving them money you know, whenever yeah. they asked for it. Um, and they didn't really do chores around the house. They didn't help clean up. And at this point, I mean, they're not even kids. They're teenagers, like almost adults and adults. Right. So it was a little crazy. Um, Lori got really upset about the way that Kathy and Tim were raising their kids. And she was quoted, um, there's a couple different quotes from her. She said, first, they're slaves, end quote. And then she said, quote, it's in, oh, I'm sorry. Then Kathy, their mother, kind of defending the way that she was raising her boys in this conservative way, said, quote, it's important we have control over their character and education, end quote. Which I, can, I agree a little bit, 
But kids need to be able to express themselves, too. Well, I think control was the wrong word. Influence. Right, I mean... Absolutely. But control... I mean, it seemed like they were trying to control their kids to an extreme. Right. Um, Lori, in during this episode, she cries several times. And she says that, you know, she's just really sad because these kids don't know how to have fun. Right. And there's one episode where she asks, or one part of the episode where she asks 11-year-old James, if he could do anything, what would he do for the day? And he couldn't come up with anything. And she said, these kids don't even know how to have fun. Right. Because they're so sheltered. Um, Kathy was equally upset about the Tonkovic family. In fact, she called Lori Tonkovic's son, who was the aspiring rapper, quote, shameful, foul, and disgusting, end quote. During the second week of the swap, like I said, the wives got to change the rules up. So Kathy had the unmarried couples that were sharing beds uh, care for, like, you know those lifelike babies that cry and you've got the, the little bracelet you have to wear? Our daughter had one. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They're really annoying and they cry more than a real baby, I think. Yeah. Um, so she made them carry them around, which I actually thought was kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, at least you're showing them, like, what their responsibility could be if they, you know, continue to make irresponsible decisions right at least she didn't like shove religion down their throat right you know so anyway i thought that was pretty good yeah um but one thing that she did that really upset the family is she was kind of rude and degrading towards Lori's son's girlfriend and she basically called her a freeloader and that really upset the family they thought she was really disrespectful yeah but while in Ohio, Lori wanted the older two boys who were 19 and 16 to go take two young ladies out on like a dinner date. Yeah. And their dad hit the roof. He was so against it. And Lori was, you know, explaining that you have to let your kids go out and experience things. And Tim said, I'll let you read the quote from Tim. Tim said, quote, I don't care to have them experience that. End quote. 16 and 19, and he doesn't care to have his kids take two girls with camera crew because they're on a reality show. Right. So it's not like they're going to, like, go have an orgy or anything. Right. Um, You know, he was so against it. And actually, the boys were against it at first, too, to the point they were in tears. And they told Lori, or at least Lori said they said it. They didn't show it on camera. Basically, that they took dating basically as courting so they felt like if they were dating that meant they had to be ready for marriage so like they were like some Amish type rule sets like think the Duggars a little bit here like this is what we're dealing with but they did end up going and it showed them have like you know it's just like a very innocent could have very well been platonic you know, dinner date with two girls. They went to like a little diner, had some things to eat, and they talked about their band and things they like to do. And both of the boys said at the end that they had a lot of fun. The reunion at the end of the show where the couples come together was short and dramatic. Yeah. So Kathy immediately comes across really judgmental, and she basically tells Lori that her house has no standards. And so Lori gets pissed, tells her she's a terrible person, and storms out of the meeting. 
Like, it was, like, the shortest <laughs> reunion in the history of the show, I think. Right. Um, you know, the families, obviously, were so different. But on the follow-up, the Tonkovic children said that, you know, they had started doing chores and trying to contribute more to their household. So, I guess there was some kind of positive... Like, there was a silver lining to that. Right. To them doing that, so... And the Stockdale boys said that basically nothing changed. They were not per- permitted to go on another date, even though they wanted to. Um, they went back to their super structured lifestyle and what they were accustomed to. Right. And I know we kind of just force fed an episode of Wife Swap down your guys' throat, but it is very, you have to know the whole story before we get to the actual part that you guys, that everybody's interested in. The true in. crime part. Right. I mean, <laughs> You have to get the backstory to realize that this family was a very, very structured, orderly family. Very yeah. strict, very... Well, and that's what makes this story interesting to me, is the fact that they were featured on Wife Swap, and what, you know, what came about after it. You're right, especially since whenever we're talking, you know, they say that, oh no, the boys went back to exactly what ha- like what they were beforehand. Yeah. Like, they got a taste of it, and they got taken back. It's like a freaking crack addict. Yeah. You get a taste of it, but you want more, but people are telling you, fuck no, you can't. Yeah. So, almost a decade later, on June 15th, 2017, a 911 call came in to the Stark County Dispatch in Ohio. The caller quickly hung up the phone, but if any of you guys have kids that have dialed 911 and hung up the phone, you know police have to respond right you know they don't know what is on the other side of a hang-up call right i mean and even it gets to the point now where even if they you call and be like oh no i've dialed on access they still might send somebody right um so the police come out and where the call came from was the farmhouse of the stockdale family when authorities arrive, the door to the residence is wide open. And as they approach the house, all of a sudden they hear a gunshot. So immediately they have to stop what they're doing. They have to call for backup. They have to, you know, ensure their own safety because they don't know who's firing a gun. Right. You know, they don't know what's going on inside that house. So eventually they get their backup and they're able to enter the home. Near the front door, they found the body of 21-year-old James Stockdale. So, James was 11. He was the youngest of the boys Mm -hmm. when Wife Swap aired. He had um, obviously been shot and clearly deceased from a gunshot wound. Upstairs, they found the deceased body of Mother Kathy Stockdale. She, too, had been shot. Soon after, they found Jacob Stockdale, the second to youngest of the Stockdale boys, with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to his head. He was alive, but barely. They send him to the hospital. He ends up in surgery and critical care. Police quickly find the murder weapon, and it's a 20-gauge shotgun that belonged to the Stockdale family and had been kept in that home. Um, So, it appears that Jacob had murdered his brother and his mother and then tried to commit suicide. Right. And I don't know, you know more about guns than I do. When somebody tells me that they took a shotgun and shot themselves in the head, I'm thinking, like, they've blown their head into two pieces. Right. And, uh, like, 
the general misconception with shotguns is 20 gauge sounds like it should be a big gun. 20 gauge is kind of a, it's the smaller of the shotgun. You know, it's a smaller gauge shotgun. You know, it's kind of like how nursing, like we use needles in nursing, you know, mm-hmm. the, the bigger the number, the smaller it is. Yeah. And so this way, you know, a 20 gauge is fairly small, but that doesn't, that really doesn't matter about the wound. The wound consists of what the actual bullet was. I mean, you know, you could either have birdshot, which is kind of, mic- you know, it's not microscopic, but it's very small. You know, and it's used to make a big pattern, you know, because you're yeah. trying to hit something and flying in the air, you know. So, I mean, you get a couple of those BBs, I mean, you can get shot with that from 100 yards away and be fine, you know. Take that and you get some double-out buckshot, which is basically, you know, little ball bearings. And that's going to, that'll you know, that's what they use to take down deer. Or, you know, if you're even bigger, you know, you go deer slug. So it all just depends on the ammunition that was used. Okay, that makes you more know? sense. So... Yeah, I mean, yeah, taking a shotgun blast to the face, no matter what, is going to suck. Yeah. You know, but it all just depends on what kind of shot was inside of it. Gotcha. Okay. Well, the police, you know, they were kind of dumbfounded because they had never been out to the Stockdale home before. There had never been domestic disturbance calls or anything like that. Jacob had never been in any kind of trouble whatsoever. Well, so, I mean, I mean, this isn't something where they're, you know, it kind of caught everybody off guard. Well, I mean, if you look at how they were raised, you probably wouldn't have a lot of trouble, you know. Right. If anything, these are probably the most well-behaved boys ever. Right. You know. The two oldest boys had already moved out of the house at this point, but Jacob and James had continued to live with their parents and were still part of this bluegrass band. And in fact... Like I said earlier, this was like a successful band. And the the summer of 2017, the band was actually fully booked for the entire summer every single weekend. And Jacob himself had won several awards for his musical talents. And he had won like competitions and stuff for his his musical abilities. Um, So it just, it's kind of crazy like there isn't anything clear that precipitated this murder suicide right um, or suicide attempt um and their father tim was not home at the time now i wonder if that like if that was his only saving grace if he would have tried to kill his father too probably i mean i would or if that was the reason why he decided to do it is because hey my dad's not home you know i can overpower everybody else that's in the house you know maybe like kind of either Either way, you know, like him being there was the catalyst maybe to actually do this or maybe it saved Tim's life because, you know, he was out for that certain amount of time. Yeah. Tim was devastated by the loss of his wife and he described her as a wonderful mother and, you know, he said that she had passions for her Christian faith, natural healing, and organic farming. Oldest son, Calvin, who was at this point married with children, so I guess he finally got a second date eventually. Yeah, I guess he got a second date. (laughs) Described his younger brother, James, as, quote, a gifted musician and a catalyst of family fun, end quote. Catherine and James had a joint funeral service in which the Stockdale family mourned this tremendous loss. Yeah, I mean, you know. Can you just imagine, like, your mother and your brother? At the hands of your other brother. Right. Like, 
Holy and, crap. And, and there's not being a definite, like, a definitive motive at the time. No. Of why he, like, what would, ha- like, why he decided to do this. Right. And according to all of the research and the interviews that I could find, there was nothing going on with Jacob that anybody could say. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm sure in retrospect they can probably look back and see a few things, but it's not like they had had concerns about his mental health or none of that. Right. Like, this came as a complete shock to everybody. Jacob Stockdale underwent several surgeries and medical procedures, and he was in the hospital and then a rehabilitation facility for over a year following the shooting. So, I mean, I guess when you shoot yourself in the head with a shotgun, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a miracle you survived. Right. So, I think one year of recovering is probably not all that bad, right. to be honest. Once he had sufficiently recovered from his injuries, he was indicted on murder charges. The indictment came in September of 2018, so we're well over a year after the crime. Right. And Jacob Stockdale turned himself in without, um, you know, without any fuss or fight. In early 2019, his defense team requested a psychological evaluation and said they intended to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. I never did get that. That plea. Like, it just seems like everybody wants to try to get... You know, not guilty, you know, by reason of insanity. Like, I know it's hard to get that diagnosis, one. Like, I'm sure they have to go through a scrutiny of tests and everything to do that. But what does that actually do? I mean... In most cases, you would be confined to a mental health facility until they determine that you're well enough to be released. So, so then, you don't go in the correction system, you go into a mental health Okay, so facility. then if you get convicted at, like, or, or if you plead not guilty for reasons of insanity, and you go to the mental hospital and stuff like that, or, you know, the psychiatric division of a hospital, and you do get better, and they clear you, is that your sentence then? If you're found not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect... So yes. Okay, and then and they can't or, be or technically, I guess you would be found guilty, but insane. Okay. Because you still get kind of you still get found guilty, but you know if you're found guilty but insane, and they sentence you to a mental health facility instead of prison sentence, then yeah, that's your sentence. But what happens a lot of times is those people aren't um, able to stand trial; they're deemed incompetent, and so then there's no double jeopardy attached. So it kind of goes into holding pattern. Okay. And that's what happened with Jacob. Okay. The second mental health evaluation found that he was not able to assist in his own defense and therefore he was deemed incompetent to stand trial. He was sent to a secured state psychiatric facility for mental health treatment. So this is a secure place. So this is like where you would send an insane criminal. Right. and well, until, I mean, obviously. <laughs> right. And until, you know, until they could find him competent, if they could ever find him competent, he would have to remain um, at the secure facility. Right. And the legal proceedings would be placed on hold. So, while he's in this facility, Jacob attempts to escape the facility. Not once, twice. Okay. <laughs> so... Uh, 
So did he get extra charges for that? Or no, they never tried him with escape. I wonder. I wonder what the reasoning behind that is. My guess is because they were still saying he was mentally handicapped at that point, or okay. not handicapped, but mentally defective, mentally ill. Okay. You know, so that's my guess. That's just a guess. Okay. He was never charged with escape, although he tried to escape twice. In February of 2020, the judge ruled that Jacob Stockdale was now competent to stand trial. Almost four years after the murders of his mother and his brother, Jacob finally faced the music. In April of 2021, so not that long ago, he chose to plead guilty to two counts of murder and was sentenced to 15 years to life for each sentence to run consecutively. So one after another. Right. Um, he will not be eligible for parole for at least 30 years. So in 2048 is when he'll be eligible for parole. So I, that's something that kind of boggles my mind too, okay? So if he gets two sentences that are 15 to life, Mm-hmm. Okay, that's kind of a broad span of time. So he's there, because they're consecutive, he's there for at least 30 years, but he could be there for life if they choose not to parole him. So like, I think it, a lot of it depends on the parole board. Right, and that, I, I don't know, I guess that just kind of something that is weird to me, you know, because you're saying that they're supposed to run, you know, back to back. Yeah. Sorry about the chair squeaking, guys. You know, I'm getting in my, in my little rabbit hole mode. <laughs> uh, you know, but they say that they're supposed to go back to back. So, how do they know when that first term is done? If it's 15 to life? You know, it's not a set number. Well, they don't really, but they don't give him any eligibility for at least 30 years. So, at least, at the very minimum, he served 15 years for each. I don't know. That's just, I mean... that. And then, then anything then, after that's up to the parole Then board. I would think that that's a concurrent sentence. You know what I'm saying? Well, then it would be 30 years concurrent. But it's 15 years consecutive. I, I, I know, but in my mind, I'm thinking... I know what you're thinking. It's just not how like it's works. just It's just very <laughs> weird that, that, you know, that they chose a time span instead of, you know, because we've seen cases where it's like, oh, no, you get like 98 years. Yeah. You know? Okay. I can, I can understand that. You know? After a certain amount of time, you're eligible for parole on that count. But it just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why it's just, it, why I'm not getting this. I mean, yeah. I, I get it. But I don't get it at the same time. I know what you're saying. Like, you serve out one sentence and then you start on the next one. But in this case, they're kind of taking the minimum for each, putting them together, and that's his minimum sentence. Okay. Um, You know, and this was kind of a harsh sentence in the eyes of his father and his brothers. And during the sentencing part of the trial, Tim actually requested that his son receive the lightest sentence possible. And he and his other children had forgiven Jacob for his crime. I I mean, and that has to be like the Christian faith that they have, Mm -hmm. you know, with the whole forgiveness. Like, I'm able to forgive people. Easy. Like, you do me wrong, you know, I can forgive you. You murder my wife and my child... I don't care if you're my son or anything. I'm not, like forgiveness is going to be very hard. So I guess my thought is, you know, and unfortunately, Tim did not give a lot of interviews where he discussed what actually happened. I mean, he gave interviews where he talked about his 
wife and what a good person she was and how much he missed his wife and his son but he didn't really ever talk about like what how did this happen right you know or what was jacob's motive or you know did they see anything that just like not justified it but like do they see things like do they know why this happened do they know like was he ridiculously mentally ill i'm assuming that is what Right. Tim and Jacob's brothers believe only right. because I think that's about the only way you could forgive that. Well, and you know, and I guess, you know, in the Christian faith, you're always told to forgive the sinner, not the sin. You know, so I guess they can forgive him for committing the sin, but mm-hmm. not the actual sin itself. I don't, I have no clue. You know, this is just me, you know, spitballing theories here just because, I mean, we're not, I don't have their, I'm not Tim. Right. You know? I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not their family. You know, I don't know what their thought process is and what's going on with them and stuff like that, you know, and it's only, and the reason, like the motive behind it, like, it's just one of those things that I guess is always just going to be something that we're never truly going to know. We have a theory that, you know, yes, he was mentally challenged, or not mentally challenged, but you know, mentally mentally unstable at this time. And yeah, the court did say that, yes, he was you know, there was some mental issues going on, you know, and, but Hey, he got, you know, with medication and whatever he got well enough. Right. Well, it's interesting too, because the mental defect that kept him from standing trial was after his gunshot wound. So it could have been related to his head trauma and his brain trauma. They never said he was insane at the time of the crime. Wow. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It was, he's not competent to stand trial. Due to the fact that he put a muzzle to his head. Right, and he's got some mental defect at this point. But nowhere in my research did I see if they had a mental health expert to say, like, at the time of the crime, he was insane. But that would also be really hard to prove because of his brain injury. You know, like... It's not like he... Right. It, this he, is, I don't even know if he remembers it, you know, where right. he can talk about, you know, what led up to it and that kind of thing. Right. And I'm sure there has to... I mean, great. yeah. I mean, like you said, there, the mental defect has to be there now. And, you know, it's now permanent because of what he did before. And being able to justify or to prove that he, this was... There was some other issue underlying before that is never going to happen. Right. You're never I mean, gonna, you're never there gonna was get a, something because he tried to kill himself and he right. killed two people, but that doesn't necessarily make you legally insane. Right, and you're never like, and it's you're never gonna get enough evidence anywhere no. for to take anything to trial because he done blew his brain, literally. Right. Um, you know, and that's um, the big question in this case is like, what happened? Like, what's the motive? And nobody really knows. Jacob has never offered a motive or an explanation. Well, I don't think he can anymore. Lori Tonkovic, however, the mother from Wife Swap from the other family, she does have a theory. She told TMZ that she believes Jacob snapped under the pressure of his super religious and strict upbringing. And she said that while they were doing the swap, Jacob, quote, freaked out, end quote, when given any bit of freedom, including being allowed to watch television and play video games. According to Lori... Jacob was scared that he would, quote, burn in hell, end quote, without any other motive. I mean, this kind of seems like maybe that's plausible. So, 
it seems like Wife Swap didn't quite show everything. Right. You know, because but, apparently I mean, these kids really thought they were going to go to hell for watching TV. Like, this kind of, I mean, it's kind of putting it out there. This kind of reminds me of a movie uh, called Red State. It's a uh, Kevin James movie. Mm-hmm. Not Kevin, or the guy who played Silent Bob. Don't even I know, talking about. but it's about a very religious cult kind of thing. Uh huh. That were that, like that kind of had the morals and up like stuff. You know, they were very strict, and they all ended up like just snapping at the end because they hear, hear a horn they, and they think it's you know the call from like the trumpets of the apocalypse blowing. Oh, for f- sake! You know, <laughs> and it turns out to be some like stoners that put up a siren on the other the other end of the other. Can you talk, babe? No. <laughs> but, you know, it was some stoners on the other side of a hill that were just messing with these guys. But the reason I make this, you know, comparison is because it looks the same. You know, both are from very, very strict upbringings. And, you know, like, and like Lori said, I mean, like, once he got a taste of freedom, he was scared. You know, once you get a taste of what it's, you know, and I can see how people, if you're raised a certain way to, to think that everything is evil. Right. And, you, you know, the little bit of fun is going against God's command. I can see where his mindset would be. So, because we don't have anything to really, you know, pinpoint an exact motive, I'm just going to give it a shot in the dark here. So, if we believe that it has to do with the way that he was raised in his religious upbringing. At the time of the murder, he was 24 years old. He was still living with his parents and in the band. Um, You know, from all of my research, it doesn't seem like he was courting anyone or in any relationships or anything like that. So, I mean, it's possible he could have just felt so stifled by his parents. And even as an adult, like, I can't do that or, you know... I'll go to hell or I can't do that or my parents will be mad at me or I mean god forbid what if the guy was gay yeah and like didn't know what to do because yeah but uh, you know know, this is just one of those things that I'm glad he will most likely never see the light of day again and I mean but we're never gonna know right and I think that's like I think there's more questions than answers in this case Oh, because this is definitely one I of those. I really want to know, but it's kind of like the Duggars. They're going to keep their, you know, like when um, the oldest Duggar, like, molested the little sisters and stuff. Like, they keep that shit quiet in that family because it looks bad because there are these Christian conservatives and things. So, if there was something going on with Jacob, likely we'll never know, you know. No, and Tim doesn't seem like the kind of dad that's going to put his son up on the chopping block like that. Either. No, absolutely not. You know, I, you mean, know, I it, think he loves Jacob. It, I really do. I yeah. think he loves him. And he, I think and I believe he truly his older forgives brother, him. I believe him and his older brother both truly forgive him for doing what he did. You know, and it's just, it's kind of sad, really, you know, that this well, happened. And I think the saddest thing for me is in the episode of Wife Swap, Kathy and Tim talk about how they moved out of the city and they started raising their boys this way and homeschooling them and they wanted to keep them 
away from, you know, violence and stuff. And actually, it, when they did the wife swap, Lori had them create a rap song. Yeah. And part of their rap song was something about they were living in the city, but there was all the shooting and the killing. So they moved to the country, and now they're just chilling or something like that. It was really corny. But point being, like, they moved away because they wanted to get away from shooting and killing, and now their son is going to spend most of his life in prison for shooting and killing right. two members of his own family, including his own mother. Yeah. Which, I mean, the own mother part, I mean, that's like some Freudian stuff. Like, we need a psychiatrist would be the only way we'll ever know what that was about. You know what I mean? So, yeah, interesting, huh? Very interesting. That's why this story shot up on my list pretty quick. Um, if you guys want to see pictures of Jacob, um, there's pictures before and after the murder which, and suicide attempts. Which, honestly, he looked for somebody that tried to kill himself with a shotgun. He doesn't look half bad. You can tell. I mean, you can tell what side well, yeah. of the head was affected, but... Um, yeah, and there's a picture of the Stockdale family band, and there's a picture of Kathy um, from Wife Swap, actually. Right. So, um, it's really interesting to me, just, like, I don't judge the way people raise their kids. I'm the last person to, to pass mom judgment, but it's interesting to me how the two could possibly be correlated. Because, right. we, you know, we look at... A lot we talk about, you know, what makes somebody a psychopath, and maybe we really have no idea. Right. <laughs> you know, um, because it seems like both ends of the spectrum may be extremes in any direction. Yeah, that whole, I mean, maybe Freud had it right, that whole, you know, nature versus nurture kind of thing. Maybe. So, anyway... Total list of references, pictures, all of that. It's at www.themidwestcrimefiles.com. If you want to watch the Wife Swap episode, which I highly recommend. It's very entertaining. Um, not entertaining because of what happened. What happened was tragic. But it's, it's entertaining to me to see these two families and how different they were because... They are very different families. Yeah, and there was a lot of drama on that episode. Um, so you can find it on Hulu. That's where I watched it at. And it's the Tonkovic and Stockdale families. Right. And I think it's season four, maybe? Four or six? I don't know. 2008. Yeah. That's where you're looking for. Um, we also want to give a special thanks to our patrons. That's something we started during season two, actually towards the end of season two. Um, we really appreciate everybody who has decided to be a patron. And if you would like to join for a dollar or more a month, whatever you want to pledge, um, you'll become a patron and you'll have access to patron-only episodes and extra content. And um, we'll also send you a magnet and a postcard and we'll be doing some fun giveaways with our patrons yeah. um, as we lead up to season three. Yep. And just wanted to put this out there too. We've kind of we've kind of become a big deal. No, <laughs> at least it feels like it feels like because the past week we've been interviewed by a newspaper, which granted it's our local hometown uh, Breeze Journal. We had got interviewed by them, and then we by also Kelly Ross at the Breeze Journal. Yeah. Thank you very much. You and rock. then uh, we are also invited to be guests on another podcast. Uh, the podcast is called Radioactive Real Talk Radio. 
And they're hilarious, they are hilarious. by the way. They uh, are hilarious. The host name is John Goodman. And no, it's not that John Goodman. I know. I was like, I was huh, really hope- is we this were- Roseanne's husband? Yeah, we were really hoping, <laughs> but no. Uh, they are a podcast out of the St. Louis area, kind of, you know, around the area that we are at. And we were part of their, or we were interviewed. We were part of one of their Halloween episodes, so um, we're not exactly sure when that episode is going to um, premiere. It's probably by the time um, you're listening to this, it's probably yeah. already live. And if you, want, if, if you want to check that episode out, it'll be their season two, episode 26 will be the episode you're looking for. But like I said, I'm listening to them now on my drives. And They're so funny. They are so funny. It's John and I believe his brother and one of their friends and a couple, like, and they always have guest spots every yeah. week too. And it, it's just a riot to listen to. We This is probably the best, the funnest interview we had. Oh, it was a lot of except fun. Except for Facebook cutting us off every five minutes. <laughs> So. But yeah, it was a lot of fun, um, for sure. So check out their podcast. Um, they're not true crime. They're well, they're a little bit of everything. They're um, they're they just generally talk about everything. It's kind right. of like Sein, It's kind of like Seinfeld. It's a show about nothing. It's whatever. It, whatever they feel like talking about. That right, day. but I think. But it's it's really good. It's funny. It's they're hysterical. I love it. So yeah. it's awesome. Um, so. We're getting ready for season two, so be looking at our Facebook page. I'm sorry, season three. three. We're getting ready to wrap up season two and go into season three. So be checking out our Facebook page. Um, we'll have a lot of information on there as we get it close to season three on December 1st. We'll have some giveaways. We'll have some new merchandise that we're going to look at. Um and some different things. Yep. And then I just want to thank everybody that sent me cases. Like, I've got a bunch of them, and it's so exciting. I'm so excited to to dig in and, and get reading and going for Season 3. So thank you guys yep. all for your suggestions. We truly appreciate it. Yep. And you guys know the socials. We're on Facebook at the Midwest Crime Files. And Twitter. And Twitter at the Midwest Crimes. Uh, we have the website, themidwestcrimefiles.com. And we can, you know... You guys know where, how, where to listen to us. Eventually, at some point in time, we will have another Facebook Live where Chris is going to learn about Jody Arias. Uh, we're not sure when that's going to be yeah, our, yet, so keep an eye on Facebook. That might be posted. That might be a season three kind of thing because it might. Be. Our schedule right now is kind of hectic, so yeah, it very well could be. So just just keep on our our Facebook page and for that information, and we'll get that to you and. In the meantime, thank you guys all for listening, and we will see you next week with the Season 2 finale. Bye, guys. Bye.